0: Well, good morning. We're so glad you're here at Christ Church. Uh, my name is Chad. I'm one of the uh, worship leaders and now one of the pastors here. Um, so I am very honored, very privileged to be a part of this community. Uh, before we jump in, I just have one fast question. Have you had your coffee yet? And here's, here's why I ask this, because I love coffee. Uh, I, I love coffee so much that I've had everything from a six-pot coffee maker to a Keurig to a two-pot coffee maker to a French press and now a soft press coffee maker. Does anybody know what a soft press coffee maker is? It's the exact opposite of a French press. <laughs> but basically what you do is you, you, you put the coffee in and then rather than pushing the coffee grinds down through the water, you let the coffee grind sit in the water and then you pull the water up out of it. It's called a soft press. It's wonderful. So anyway, have you had your coffee? Here's why I bring that up. You see, every morning when I start, I have about a list of a few things that are prerequisites, I think, for me to have a good day, for me to have success. And one of those is a cup of coffee. You know, if you talk to anyone who says they don't need coffee and they wake up every morning feeling cheery and bright and they have no need to have a cup of coffee, they're lying, don't trust them. (laughs) But really, I, I like coffee. I like the way my day starts when I've had my coffee. Coffee is one of those things on my long list of routines, those to-dos that I do every morning, that I'm going, I'm going, I'm going. When I get up and when I face my day, this is what I do. And we all have this experience. We scramble around our mornings. Our to-do lists quickly compound. And often for me, one thing leads to another. And before I realize it, I've ignored some pretty important things. I've ignored some pretty important emotional and spiritual things that, I think are important to me, to the point where, because I'm doing these to-do lists, I've completely become unaware of them. I mean, honestly, at times, I'd rather scurry around, face my day, attack my list, rather than face what I think I really need. You see, the rush of each morning becomes a numbing effect to really mask the reality of what is important. And so my routines become an overshadowing of what I really long for. And so it's nice to say that. It's nice to admit that, that I, that I ignore these things, that I, I have these things that I'm ignoring as I'm going through my list. But the question I ask myself is, do I really long for them? I mean, do I really long for these emotional and spiritual things that I claim I do long for if I'm willing to ignore them? I mean, in essence, every morning after I get through my list, I'm stuck with myself. Every day, these immediate needs, these necessary details of my life They often show up when I'm not expecting them to, and more often than not, they show up before I've had my coffee. The more I focus on them, the more I tend to them, the more I try to accomplish them, the more I distance myself from actually facing the things that my heart really needs, that my mind really longs for. You see, one of the great equalizers of humanity is that we all have needs. There's all things that we long for. The unfortunate thing is that these things tend to separate us. Well, what I mean? For example, we all long for different careers. And so we end up going in different directions. We long for different relationships. And so we end up putting ourselves in different communities. You see, we live in a culture where being different is celebrated. Being different is valued. And it actually becomes the priority of the way we face our life. We start chasing the there must be more than this idea. And this begins to shape not only where we put ourselves, but really how we treat each other. There are countless examples of people, and I know that you know them, of people who have actually changed the atmosphere of their communities because of what they actually longed for. I mean, names like Mother Teresa, she did this for people in India. Jim and Elizabeth Elliot, they did this for the people of Ecuador. Martin Luther King Jr., he did this for the United States. Even Mama Maggie, one of our mission partners, she's doing this for the people of Egypt. And when I look at these names and I compare them to my life, the one question I keep circling is, what's giving them the opportunity to change those communities? What are they longing for that's different than what I'm longing for? How can I move past myself with having a mind's eye towards things that are much bigger than me and way more important than my to-do list? Way more important than my cup of coffee. You see, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says something very peculiar. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Now, when Jesus says blessed, he's talking about people who have God's hand on them. Literally, the ability to enjoy the presence of God in their life, regardless of their condition or their status. These are what he means by blessed. And when he refers to righteousness, he's referring to a way of behaving, a way of living out what God has called us to do. You see, this verse is saying that those who behave in the way God instructs get to enjoy the presence of God as long as they long for it. And this is a very peculiar statement. Because in it, Jesus chooses to explain this idea using a reference that we're all very familiar with, and that is our appetite. And yet, with this metaphor, he references a condition that we're not very familiar with. And that's being completely saturated and overflowing with righteousness. Now, I think Jesus knew that those who heard him that day would be able to relate to the appetite for food and water. This is a very common experience. The experience of hunger and thirst are some of the most basic experiences that we have as human beings. And it would seem that when Jesus is calling us to have this attention to our food and to our water, he's also doing the very same thing and saying we should have similar keenness to our spiritual appetite. But really, how many of us wake up with a sharp, distinct hunger for righteousness? I mean, I don't. I don't desire this naturally. I just want coffee. (laughs) Yet that's the exact point Jesus is making. You see, we live in a rhythm of being hungry, and then we eat. We live in a rhythm of being thirsty, and then we drink. This is our experience. Our spiritual experience should be much of the same way. This is the point what Jesus makes to the woman at the well in John chapter 4. If you're familiar with this story, there's a woman who goes to a well to draw water, and when she attempts to go to this well, she finds a man there that she's never met. This is Jesus. And when Jesus meets the Samaritan woman, she's thirsty and she's longing for a drink. And I want to suggest to you that we are that woman at the well. That is who we are. We come to fulfill our thirst because that's what we long for and rather than filling our physical needs, Jesus attempts to show us our eternal need. He longs to fill us and then do so in such a way that would cause us to help others. You see, Jesus promises his living water because he's the eternal source. He can do this because that's who he is. And why does he do this? He does this because he loves us. He fills us because he loves us. He fills us because he loves us. You see, the blessing that comes doesn't come in the acquiring of righteousness. If you go back and you look at this verse, it says the blessing comes from the favor of God that rests on those who actually have the posture of righteousness to be like him. So it's all about the posture It's not about obtaining righteousness. It's about longing for it. And this is why a few verses later in the same chapter, Jesus addresses the issue and lifestyle of the Pharisees. This is why he says, you're never gonna enter the kingdom of God unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. If you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven, then you must practice the commands that God teaches and do so in such a way that is better than the Pharisees and teachers of the law. Jesus' intention in this kind of blessing is that those who long for righteousness would be the righteousness that would not be secured by the works, but would only be secured by the gift that God gives them. Clearly, no one's going to be able to surpass the righteousness of the Pharisees, or at least that's what they thought. And the problem with the Pharisees is not that they weren't doing good, it's that they weren't doing good enough. And they're good enough, ignored the massive demand that God has for holiness. And this is further emphasized when you read the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus exposes our sin and proves that we're not good enough. You see, if perfection before God is the standard and we're not good enough to earn it, Jesus is promising a blessing to those who actually long for it. So then, how do we develop this longing? I mean, if we're not waking up and having it, how how do we get it? When will we actually notice that the posture of our lives is such that God will actually bless it? When will we notice that God fills me? When will we notice that we're overflowing? How do we know when we're actually favored by God? These are questions I'm asking myself. And as I said earlier, I'm certainly not waking up thinking about this. I want you to imagine for a moment being on the hill that Jesus was at that day that he gave the sermon, and you're hearing him speak about the kingdom of heaven. So put yourself there for a moment. I wonder what would impress you. I can imagine that Jesus would not be promising complete happiness. Jesus would remind us that there were ones long before us who also longed for righteousness, but their righteousness was a deliverance from evil. Their righteousness was a longing to be returned as God's people, to be brought back out of exile. Their longing was asking God to rescue him from the hands of the wicked. It had way less to do with right standing before God and a whole lot more to do with the social reform, justice, and the new kingdom that the people of Israel longed for. So when we hear the word righteous, a lot of times, as if you're me, you think about right standing before God. I've been made righteous This is a little different than what Jesus is talking about. In Psalm 17, David writes that God stills the hunger of those who cherish. For their sons have plenty, and they store up wealth for their children. And I, David, says, In righteousness I will see your face when I awake. You see, the fulfillment that David is longing for in this verse, he knows is coming, not in the day of his prayer. It's coming much, much, much later on the other side of eternity. So for David, the fulfillment of a cry for righteousness is going to come much later. And the prayer and longing were with a hope of satisfaction in the life to come, not in the current state. The fulfillment of righteousness that they wanted looks a lot different than the righteousness that we tend to think about today. And if we're still there on that hill, if we're still imagining, secondly, I think the words that Jesus used would move us to reevaluate what we actually think is blessed. This is a social ladder paradigm shift. Those who did good in the eyes of men always appeared to be blessed. You see, the core values of our humanity say that they're way different than the values of the kingdom of heaven. This kingdom of heaven, sometimes called the new Zion, these values of this kingdom would be much different than the values that we see Instead, those who are actually blessed are the people who actually hunger for it, not for the people who actually appear to not have a need. Those who would be blessed would be the poor and the needy, similar to those that the psalmist writes in Psalm 107 when he says that they wandered in desert wastelands, finding no way to a city where they could settle. The psalmist says that they were hungry and they're thirsty and their lives ebbed away and they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them. So the real question here is, Am I poor? Am I really in need? Am I really hungry? Am I really thirsty? Jesus is setting a new kingdom value here. He's saying, connect to me. He's saying, tether your life to me. He's saying, come closer. He's saying, tether your life around your need for righteousness, and you're gonna find my blessing there. Um, If you know anything about people who live in Canada and the Great Plains, you'll know that rope is a very important resource. Um, There's a common practice among farmers who live in areas where they experience multiple blizzards and intense weather, where they'll take a rope like this and they will tether one end to their doorknob at the front of their house, And they will extend that rope all the way out the front door, all the way over to the barn door. And so when a great blizzard comes and the farmer has to leave his home, what does he do? He opens the door, and even though he can't see, the idea is that because the house is tethered to the barn, he can tether himself to this rope, and he can walk himself in complete blindness to the barn and find his way back. And there are stories of farmers who lost their way to this rope and froze to death, on their way to their barn. You see, during a blizzard, in an effort not to get lost and freeze to death, this is what they would do. And like our daily routines, our lives become like a blizzard. Our mornings are like a blizzard. My morning is a blizzard. You see, we lose sight of what's important because we've let go of the tethering. And eventually we stop longing for God. I have a favorite book. Uh, It's called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Uh, If you've never read it, I would encourage you to read it. Um, But there's a section I want to read for you. And it says this. Blizzards begin when we say yes to too many things. Between the demands from work and family, our lives fall somewhere between full and overflowing. We multitask so much that we are really unaware that we are actually doing three things at once. Our overproductivity becomes counterproductive. We end our days exhausted from work, exhausted from raising children. And then our free time on weekends becomes filled with more demands in an already overabundant and burdened life. Any sense of rhythm in our daily, weekly, and yearly lives has been swallowed up in the blizzard of our lives. And so we need a rope to lead us home. And God is offering us a rope to get and keep us from getting lost. This rope consistently leads us back to him to a place that is centered and rooted on Jesus. And so my question to you is this. Are you in need? Are you hungry? Are you thirsty? In the midst of that, have you actually tethered your life to Christ? Let's be clear here. This new kingdom that Jesus is setting up, this new Zion that he's talking about, And the happiness of these beatitudes is not about being good, it's about doing good. This is a very distinct distinction in the righteousness that Jesus is talking about. It's connected to the commands he's given us to live by. And what are some of the basic commands that God has called us to live by? He said, love God, what? And love others. Doing good can only be empowered by Jesus. And only if we actually shape our lives around him. Being filled with righteousness to overflowing has way more to do with extending the kingdom of God to those who are not in it yet than actually finding a right place before Him. And this has nothing to do with this. Jesus promises to fill those who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness, and He promises that it will actually overflow. Jesus is addressing what we desire most, and so my question is, what do you desire? What are you hungry for? What are you thirsty for? The atmosphere of our solutions can drastically change if we put ourselves in a place where we long for the righteousness of God, and so it all becomes about posture. Our posture now is what is blessed. We become blessed, and this gives us the amazing ability to love the people that are around us. We are now filled, now check this out, we are now filled to bring peace in times of chaos. We are now filled to be humble instead of proud. We are now filled to bring comfort in sorrow. We are now filled to encourage trust in times of fear. We're now filled to build belief in seasons of doubt. We're filled to ensure the rest in the midst of anxiety. We're filled to give breath in times of suffocation. We are filled to offer a drink in times of thirst. We are filled to show love in the face of evil. We are filled to have gentleness in moments of revenge. We are filled to show mercy in times of offense. We are filled to show approval in the face of insecurity. We are filled to be inclusive in places of exclusion. And we're filled to share in times of need. This is the overflow. When I look at this text and I I put my life in in, in, in in the position that Jesus is calling me to put in, I say to myself, am I actually living a peaceful life around those who allow me, or am I causing chaos with my relationships? Am I actually walking with humility, or do people find me to be an arrogant person? Do I actually bring comfort when someone's upset? Or do I shame them for being upset? Do I really encourage people to trust when they're afraid? Is there something about me that says, hey, trust this. Do not be afraid. Do I really believe that when I walk into a space where people have doubt that I'm actually encouraging them to believe more? I mean, really, does my life actually ensure rest to people who have anxiety in their life? (laughs) When people are suffocating, do I have the ability to walk into their life and give them the breath they need, to give them the drink that they need, When people have offended me, when they are against me, do I have the ability to love them? In times of great offense, do I have the ability to show mercy? And when I encounter insecurity because it's real, there's a lot of insecurity in our world, do I have the ability to actually approve people in their insecurity? And do I welcome them in or do I keep them at bay? When they're excluded, do I invite them in? and when I find their need, do I actually have the ability to share with them? These are great questions. These are great things to wrestle with, but this is what Jesus is saying, wrestle with them, long for them. This is sometimes why I think my life looks a little bit different than people like Mother Teresa or Martin Luther King, because maybe I'm not longing enough. Maybe the place where God has put me, I've chosen to just look past, and i am not put myself in a place where I say, God, I, I want to long for more of you where you, have, where you have placed me. The scripture says that the Lord longs to be gracious to you. He longs to be gracious to you. And he will rise up to show you compassion. Why? Because God is a God of justice. Blessed are all of those who wait for him. Friends, maybe it's so with us today. May that be a reality today for us. And in the days ahead, as we are with our Lord, could it be possible that we could hunger together? Could it be possible that in addition to hungering together, we, we would thirst together? That by the grace of our Lord, we would then be filled together to extend this amazing community of people to folks who aren't even here yet? Could we be the difference our community needs? I think it has a whole lot to do with our posture. Let me pray for us. God, just give us an ability to have posture. God, give us an ability to be vulnerable. Father, give us an ability to just admit our need to you. God, give us the belief and the confidence to know that when we put ourselves in a place of need, that that's not actually bad, that's actually a blessing. God, that we can find favor with you when we admit our need and we become vulnerable. And so Lord, in all the places that we have this deep confidence, this amazing self-reliance, Lord, help us to also recognize that even in the midst of those places, we are still in great need of you. And so God, we as a church long for the righteousness that you promise to bless. God, we admit our hunger and our thirst and our need for you today. And God, in the midst of that need, Lord, would you fill us to overflowing so that God, we would no longer have the ability not just to love you, but we would have the ability to love others. And God, our lives would be a sweet imitation of Jesus. In the name of Christ we pray.